So a while back, I shared with, with some of you that we had to get a new car. And the reason was we, the car we were driving uh, had 180,000 some miles on it. And it just, it finally just couldn't be driven any longer. And we, we uh, went and, and ended up um, getting a, a Ford Flex. And this new car, and my wife made the deal and drove it home, was all excited. You know, it's been a great car for last month or so, or a couple months. And uh, so the reason I, I share that is on Friday, I was going to do a little grocery shopping, and I went to um, that market over on Rochester Road, just south of town, called Fresh Time. And it was at lunchtime. We, were, we needed some, something for lunch, and I thought, oh, they have those amazing deli sandwiches. Anybody ever visited that deli there? Uh, it's a shameless plug for that deli, although I don't want to make the line any longer. It is amazing, and they make the best sandwiches, and you can get them toasted, you know, the whole deal. So I'm waiting. I parked in the parking lot, went inside, waited in line, put my order in, and did a little grocery shop, and came back, picked up the sandwiches. I was hungry, couldn't wait to get home, and I walked back out to the parking lot, and I, I get into my car, and, and you know, a lot of these new cars now, you, you actually don't have a key to turn the ignition. There's a button, right? And, and so I... I pushed the button, nothing happened. Like, oh, maybe I haven't put the brake on enough. So I, I put my foot on the brake a little further, hit the button, nothing. Like, you gotta be kidding. It's a, it's a new car. Like, ah, oh, and I'm like, okay, maybe I'm just missing something. Like, okay, maybe I don't have the key. Did I leave it in fresh time and check my pocket? Sure enough, had, had the key. And I pushed the button as I pushed the brake in again, and it should just turn the car on. And I, yeah, be kidding. What, what is wrong? And, and, and I got so aggravated because I'm hungry, and I knew Katie was waiting for me at home to bring sandwiches home. And, and I just want to get home and get on with a little time. And I'm like banging my head against the steering wheel, like, come on, what is wrong with this thing? And, and, and after several minutes of trying and getting so discouraged and so frustrated, I smelled something kind of funny. And I look, and there's like some used food wrappers on the, the floor that I don't remember leaving there, and I don't remember us ever going to that restaurant. Like, nobody in our <laughs> family goes to that restaurant. And, and I look around, I open up the, the console, and like someone else's purse is in there, and, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I, I stepped out, like, I'm not trying to steal it. You know, it's not my car, right? And, but go figure why it wouldn't start, right? Because mine was three cars down. And you ever notice like when you get a new car, suddenly they're everywhere and you see them on the road? Well, they're everywhere. And, and I got in the wrong one. And um, I'm sharing that today because I, I think that kind of experience, uh, when we're honest, happens a lot to us. And I think it happens a lot to followers of Jesus. I think it happens a lot for the church. I think it happens a lot. And here's what I mean by this is we, we think... Uh, we are following through with what it's all about and only to realize that, well, what's going wrong? Why are we pounding our head against the steering wheel of life and circumstances and situations and say, is this really the way it's supposed to be? And like, this is not what I signed up for. This is what I thought it would be. And I, I, I mean, a lot of Christ followers, Jesus followers who say that, like, I, I just thought it, life would be different. I thought the church would be different. You know, a lot of times if you ask people in the church what their impression is of followers of Jesus, you get kind of a mixed bag of people that say, well, they're very really loving and forgiving and grace-filled people. You might also, maybe you're here today and you've been wounded by church and you haven't been back since because it, it hurts. 
And the people in churches can sometimes be very wounding because we're sinful, broken human beings. We are, and churches aren't perfect. And, and the reality is, is we add to that a lot of times just by going through the motions and thinking, hey, this is what it's all about. We're like, but why is it that we can't seem to get this thing started? And, and why is it that it's so difficult? Some years ago, because here's the question, like, well, if that's our experience in the church, what do you think the experience is for people outside the church looking in? Um, some years ago, there was a, an interesting study done by a guy by the name of an author by the name of David Kinnaman and another author by the name of Gabe Lyons. And they spent three years doing a poll of unchurched Americans to find out what they thought about followers of Jesus, Christians. Some way through the course of their extensive research, they were able to interview thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So there was, was quite an extensive thing. And they discovered that Jesus followers are seen by people not in the church. They're seen as judgmental, hypocritical bigots who are too political, old-fashioned, out-of-touch, insensitive, and boring. It's quite a description, isn't it? And if you're like me, you're kind of like, whoa, 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 that, that's, kind of, that's kind of unfair. I mean, come on, can't you at least consider the fact that, you know, when there's a disaster, a lot of times the first people on the site of a disaster is not a governmental organization. A lot of times it's, it's churches who are responding in disaster relief times. And some of the finest examples of that in recent years with hurricane relief and you name it through disasters that churches have responded often even faster than governmental agents. I mean, can't even point out, you know, how how the church is active in developing nations and, and the missions that are out there making a difference. It's like our church, we do a lot of things like that. We're active in being the church out of the community. I mean, couldn't they at least notice some of that and bring attention to it instead? What, what the study showed, as I mentioned, is it, it's not good news, right? Too political, judgmental, hypocritical bigots, old-fashioned, out-of-touch, insensitive and boring. Now, I, I know what you're also thinking, you're like, well, see, part of that can be because uh, we live in a day and age, the media has kind of labeled Christians and followers of Jesus, and a lot of times we get kind of put into that light as being very judgmental and, and, and being unloving, and, and, and yeah, I get all that, right? And, and it, it, I suppose in fairness, yes, the media does have an impact on how we are portrayed to the world, but the other reality is in the same study done by these authors, 50% of the thousands that they polled made it very clear in their answers that their answers were based on first-hand experience with followers of Jesus that made them feel unloved, made them feel judged, made them feel like they're just hypocrites, made them feel like they're just out for their own gain. The thing that gets me in this, I think if we're honest here today, first of all, I just want to say to our community, we're sorry. Because <laughs> we could easily just kind of brush them and oh, come on, that, that can't be true. Well, obviously, it has been true. And, and whether it's perception or not, it is perception. And the reality is, perhaps it's even more true than we'd like to admit. But could it be that we're only just getting into the wrong car? That maybe our thoughts of what it means to follow Jesus are, are based in, and, and we've just kind of been caught up in a, a misconception of who we are and what we're supposed to be about. And if so, wouldn't it be sad to not realize that? I mean, after all, if you think about it, 
when it comes to Jesus, and if you ask the same question, well, what do you think about Jesus? People would say, well, he was someone who loved people and was filled with grace and mercy and compassion. Most people, when you ask, what do you think of Jesus? They quickly would say those kinds of things. But why is it then that followers of Jesus are marked in such a, a notably different kind of thing? What is the disconnect for us? And why is that? And could we just sit idly by and say, okay, well, oh, well, that's just the way it is. I, I don't feel good about that. I'm a follower of Jesus. And the Savior Jesus I know is loving, compassionate, grace-filled, is willing to make a difference in the lives of people who think they're far from God. I mean, can we as a church just sit back and say, oh, well, if people don't think we are that way, it's all right. No, I, I don't feel that way. And I bet you don't either because it's like sitting in the wrong car. God has come into this world to make an impact on the lives of people who think they are far from him, including you and me. So the question is, what do we do about it? And I think some years ago, I read about this, this woman, a single mom, and she'd made some very terrible choices in her life. And, and she was down and out, and she was in need of help, and, and she had a friend who was counseling her, and, and, and the friend said, well, have you thought about maybe seeking help at a church? locally in, in your, your community. And she says, the church? That'd be the last place I'd go. I already feel guilty about the decisions I've made. You see, here's the disconnect. When we have a Savior who has come to connect with those who feel disconnected down and out, on the outside, looking in. How do we change not just the perception, but the reality? It's interesting. I was, loved what we read today. Jesus speaks a story, and he's, he's telling about an example. He says, and I'll read this to you again, what it, what it says from our scripture, from Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You know, when those two houses were built, one on a rock with a firm foundation, one on sand with no foundation, do you think the houses themselves looked any different? No, right? The brand new houses, they look great. Both of them look move-in ready. It's like, wow, this is awesome. And Jesus is telling this story. And the reality is we could be living in a house that has no foundation and think, oh, this is wonderful. Until disaster comes. Life hits. And the broken reality of this world comes to face the reality of where we live. And when that starts to disintegrate, we say, this isn't what I signed up for. I thought I, no. And Jesus says, but not so with the one with the house built on a rock. The water rises, the wind blows, the big bad wolf comes and it cannot blow the house down. <laughs> because it's the power of God in the foundation that has been set and it's built firm and secure. It's being in the right car with the right key. 
It's realizing that God has come into this world to bring that kind of reality, to face the circumstances we face every day or people around us are facing, and to be followers of Jesus who start to see that our calling as followers of Jesus looks different. Because the closer you become to Jesus, the amazing thing is, is that Jesus starts to have an impact on our lives. That's why Jesus said, here's the difference between the two houses. Both of them hear the word. The difference is, the one who puts these words of mine into practice is like that wise one who built his house in Iraq. What a difference. Not just hearing the word, but putting those words into practice. Just like Jesus said elsewhere in Luke chapter 11. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and they not just listen to it, they obey it. Or James 1, James was Jesus' brother, and he says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. What would that look like for you today? If you call yourself a follower of Christ, what would it look like to not just hear the word of God, but to do what it says? I don't know about you, but I'm not happy with the reality that has become the church and the perception in our world today. What would happen if every Christ follower says, I, I'm not happy with that either. And, and Jesus, by your help and by your spirit and your leading and you having your way in my life, may I reflect who you are to this world. It starts right here in the hearts, the minds, and the lives of people like you and me. And it happens as God's word has an impact in our lives. And here's what we're going to do. I want to challenge you, encourage you, welcome you over the next several months. And starting on, what is it, September 7th and 8th, we're going to start what's called the Red Letter Challenge. Maybe even in the name, you catch what that's about. A lot of Bibles have the words of Jesus written in red. We're going to spend 40 days focusing on the words of Jesus. I mean, this is radical stuff, right? Jesus says, the wise one is the one who listens to my word and puts them into practice. Well, to put them into practice means we know what that word is. And so we're going to spend time as the people of God speaking and learning and growing in the words of Jesus for 40 days, 40-day challenge. And it consists of Reading daily in a book called The Red Letter Challenge that's focused on the words of Jesus. It means spending time in, in worship, asking you to commit to being in worship where we're going to celebrate what we're learning through our reading and, and grow and weekly themes of that. We're also going to invite you to be part of a, a small community group where you can be encouraged, have other people pray for you in your walk with Jesus. And, and, and lest you hear this, oh, this sounds really legalistic. Oh, not at all. <laughs> This is about celebrating the reality we live in as people of God who are loved, forgiven, and redeemed by Christ crucified. As Paul says that I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Red Letter Challenge is about getting to know the one who has given us the greatest gift and having his way in our life as we're impacted. And it's like getting in the right car, with the right key and seeing where he takes us. May God bless us in that. I encourage you as we get connected in these coming days. May the Lord have his way in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. We thank you for the foundation you've come to set in our life. A rock that will not move no matter what goes on in this broken, messed up world. You are the hope of the world and we ask your forgiveness for all the times as your people we have not been carriers of that hope. 
Lord Jesus, transform us, guide us, lead us, change us. As we fix our eyes on you, as we spend time in your words, here today and in the days ahead. Turn it around, Lord Jesus, we pray. The perception, the, the reality in, in our culture of who we as your followers are. As you are one shown with compassion and grace and love, may we not be known as those who are judgmental or hurtful or divisive. divisive. But guide us to walk together, to celebrate together, and to love together as your people transformed in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray.